the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, the Finance Coast and Mohamed Nala. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. In addition to our weekly free show that you know and love, we have now launched Magic Markets Premium, a weekly show for our subscribers in which we give detailed analysis on global stocks. Every premium show is accompanied by a report covering the company's strategic drivers, its operating environment, its competitors, bull versus bear case, technical trading indicators, and a long-term investment thesis. At just 99 Rand per month, we are committed to making institutional-level analysis affordable for all investors and traders. Visit magic-markets.com to go premium and unlock your full potential in the markets. This podcast is brought to you by Herenia Capital Advisors, a registered financial services provider, FSP number 47080. Herenia Capital Advisors is setting the new standard for stockbroking services. Herenia is by traders, for traders. Visit herenia.co.za to find out more. Welcome to episode 66 of Magic Markets. And you may recall in September 2021, we did something awesome called Herenia September. Now we're doing Herenia every month because uh, Petri Riedlinhaus from Herenia Capital Advisors will be chatting to us once a month, which we are very excited about. We can tap into his brain around trading, the markets, derivatives. He gets up to all kinds of stuff. But before we welcome him to the show, Mo, welcome all the way from Canada. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure doing this. And you know, I'm really excited having Petri on as a recurring guest on Magic Markets because I think it's it's really true to form in that we try and cover not just the investing side of things at Magic Markets, but the trading side as well. And I think, you know, we've had Petri on. For those of you that aren't familiar with Petri, go and have a look around September last year. We had Petri on. There was a whole series of Herenia September, which was very, very popular with our listeners. Uh, and so that's really the reason why we've got Petri back. So I think from the Magic Markets team, Petri, welcome back on board Magic Markets. Thank you very much for, for having me. I'm glad to hear that the previous episodes are popular. I think, I think you guys have a very popular podcast, actually. I think people like to learn about trading and the community you've got going, Petri, and all that great stuff. So, yeah, it's great, to, it's great to have you back. And I'm sure that community has been quite an asset in the markets in the past sort of week, week and a half, when everyone needs to try and just manage their emotions. I'm guessing there's been some very interesting discussions in your Herenia Discord, huh? Uh, something that we've been discussing in the Discord is around... What are the skills we're going to need going forward if we want to successfully navigate markets is we have to be able to discern between what is real news and what is fake news, information and misinformation. Because like Russia, Ukraine, case in point, right? Ukrainians say six and a half thousand soldiers have been killed. Russia says 500 soldiers have been killed. What's the truth? You know, Uh, so that is one of the sort of it's been one of the topics that we've been talking about. Obviously, the Russia-Ukraine situation has been very topical. Uh, it's been moving markets in a big way. So there's been a lot of volatility and a lot of, you know, nudges to remind people of risk management <laughs> here and there, you know. I'm very sort of proud of how the guys within the community are doing. Um, we, you know, we haven't had any, like, major blow-ups. Uh, nobody's blown accounts, no margin calls, nothing that's been sort of directly related to the shock and the fallout of the Russian um, invasion, if you will. Uh, and that, I think, is a is a result of teamwork. So uh, as much as it's, we can sit here and go, oh, yeah, our community is doing really well. The, the, it's not us. It's them, right? I think that's the key is that the people within the community, they are the ones that make it valuable. You know, we're just the guidance. It's the people themselves that are, are really 
coming together as a team and working together and supporting each other. It's fantastic. Yeah, Petri, I want to jump in here because I think, you know, one of the key aspects of your community was not just the educational component to it. There's also the psychology component to it. I mean, I was speaking to someone else down there in the markets in South Africa facing retail investors, and they were telling me how, you know, there's been a fair amount of panic in their kind of sphere where guys are saying, geez, market's selling off. They want to sell off their passive ETF holdings, for example. Maybe it's people less active in the markets. A lot of that panic. And I mean, it's not just a South Africa thing. You're seeing the same thing up here in in North America as well. And so I almost want to know more recently, how many of those hand-holding slash psychology chats have you been having in your community versus actual trading ideas? Because I think in, in our world, there's this easy dichotomy between investing versus trading. Investing, you always tell people, look through the noise, try and discern what's the narrative telling you. Does that create opportunity to either buy or sell, whether it's an entry point or an exit point? But in the trading world, I think it's, it's, it's a lot more high frequency than that. Uh, and so what does that mix look like at Herenia over the last couple of weeks? That's an interesting question, actually. Now that you mention it, I don't even consider whether or not the people are panicking because it doesn't seem to me like anybody is, right? It feels as though, you know, we, we spend a lot of time on you know, oftentimes correcting poor behavior uh, when, when traders join us. So they come from wherever, they open their account and within a couple of weeks, you know, it'll be either myself or Jonathan having a chat with them going, listen, guy, you know, you're trading too big, you're trading too small, you're trading too regularly or whatever the case is. Everyone has different problems, you know. But one of the things that we sort of really try to push home is you have to have a maximum amount of money that you're willing to lose on any given trade. You know, something that often happens is someone comes in that can string two months of, you know, consistently good small trades together and then two or three trades completely wipe them out, right? So that is then a learning opportunity for us to approach them and say, well, listen, try this technique, try doing this, set yourself a rule, do this, do that, and then the results start to change. And one of the things that, that you know, we often say is that, and I think the ghost and I were talking about this uh, some time ago, is that you always have this feeling like there's this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that you might miss, right? Sassol at 25 or 30 rand, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, right? But, you know, so was oil, so was so is uranium now, I think. So, um, so was a lot of other things, Bitcoin, you know, like there's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity every year. Your job is not to take every single one of them. Your job is to be still around when the next one comes along, right? That sort of like calmness around, it's okay if I miss this opportunity, the bus will come around again. I think what's happening is, is some of the guys, well, one in particular has become very, very consistent over the last few months, but he's very frustrated now. And how does he, how does he increase his size? That's a challenge that he's, that he's trying to overcome. He can put 80% of his trades are winners, but how does he... How does he size up so that he can start to to make enough, um, you know, make bigger profits? That's a psychological challenge that he has to push through. So we'll say to him, look, um, instead of, uh, you know, keep in mind, this is intraday trading, right? This is not necessarily, um, you know, swing trading or CFD trading or anything like that. Uh, but we'd say to him, like, look, uh, you need to have the exact same nominal RAND value exposure per trade, irrespective of what you're trading. Uh, you have your maximum loss that you're willing to take on the trade. And every trade is the same value. I'd rather start thinking about the value of the shares that you're trading. And then you build uniformity around that nominal exposure per trade. And if you've got the consistency to back you up, then you know you can be quite comfortable like, okay, you know, eight out of 10 times, I'm going to make a bit of money. So 
that money now starts to to roll slightly bigger. So those are the, the those are the types of discussions that we have. You know, we do obviously discuss a lot of news and a lot of sort of opinion around that news and analysis of what could be, uh, you know, happening or um, you know have a have a view on what's happening in the oil price, for example. Uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion around how the U.S. is dealing with this Russia situation and how, at the moment, the view is sort of this is going to backfire in the U.S.'s face, right? They're kind of forcing their own, you know, de-dollarization is kind of happening at their own hand kind of thing. Uh, so we're kind of looking at, well, how can we position what are we going to do in a new kind of world where international trade becomes a lot more localized um, and Russia gets cut out or perhaps perhaps there's a Russia-China-India type uh, union that gets formed. I mean, we're, I don't know if you saw the, the, the post that Anonymous did, Anonymous, the hacking group, put a picture up of all the, the leaders of the BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, right? And they said, the five horsemen of the apocalypse. So that's us, right? So in that kind of world, where do we position? What do we do? You know, we're looking for stuff like nickel, for example. Which companies have exposure to nickel in South Africa? So those are the types of stuff that we really discuss. It's not so much idea generation as what it is just um, sharing of information. Petri, maybe I can jump in there. I mean, the, <laughs> Anonymous will be disappointed to learn that they don't need to hack us to turn our electricity off because ESCOM actually does that already. So, you know, perhaps they should focus elsewhere. We, we have enough of our own problems. Um, but, you know, be that, be that as it may. I'm curious within the community, how many of them, just high level, like how many people are sort of day trading? How many are swing trading? How many are using the platform for more longer term investing? Because obviously those three groups of people behave very, very differently in times of volatility and think differently. And I, I, I think the long-term investors tend to panic because they go, oh my goodness, where is my money gone? Even though they shouldn't. They should be sticking it through. They should actually ideally be looking for opportunities to buy more. But that mindset is, well, I can't make money now, so now what? Whereas traders look at the volatility and say, well, this is all over the place. How do I make some bucks in the next week? Because there's lots of stuff to trade up and down because they have the tools at the disposal the derivatives, the option strategies they may or may not be using. I mean, what sort of mix do you see within the Herenia community around that? So obviously the guys who talk the most um, are the ones who are the intraday traders, right? So they're the ones who are sort of sharing the most ideas, sharing the most charts. Then there's a sort of a grouping of, you know, the guys who fo- mainly focus on offshore. So there's different times of day that different people will talk. So the crypto guys will sort of crawl out at night, midnight, they're sending each other crazy amounts of messages. With the longer term investors, what I find with them is they're not really that active in terms of contributing to the community, you know, so they're not talking or, or asking a lot of questions, but they're re- reacting to what's being discussed. So uh, we do a purge of the server every couple of every couple of weeks. And if you haven't logged in for a certain amount of time, you get you get booted out and nobody get nobody gets booted out. Right. Um, which shows that people are logging in and maybe in their own time reading some of the discussions that's been taking place. A lot of people would, for example, uh, you know, listen to a call and not not say a word. Uh, and we can see that in the in the account behavior, right? So as a percentage of our total client book, losses taken on Naspash in the last week, less than half a percent of capital, right? So that shows that the longer term investors, when we started sort of climbing out and panicking when that support level broke, uh, is when I sold for the longer term accounts, and obviously you, you you communicate that to the clients. That, Look, this is what we're doing. There's a lot of discussion around. Well, it doesn't have to make sense. The market is going down, and we could see at that stage then people started responding 
without necessarily you know jumping on the group and asking a ton of questions or, or, or making a bunch of statements, but responding in the way that they are repositioning their, their accounts. Now, Peter, I think that's fascinating. And I mean, I, I almost want to pick up on that because like you say, you, you, you track, I guess, how the community behaves, how they interact with you. Uh, but a significant portion of that is a reacting to, like you say, what's happening in the market. And, and some people digest that information in different ways. I want to segue from that into stuff that's slightly more topical. You know, let's let's talk some of the ideas. Let's talk some of the current events, what's happening. And I want to almost start off with one of them because this I remember engaging with you on your group's Discord, in your community, on the oil price a little while ago. And I say a little while ago, uh, and that might be in terms of time, so a couple of months, but in terms of price, I remember the oil price was around the upper 60s back then. And the reason I raise this is that you're one of the very few people I know who kind of stuck with that trade all the way through. And as we're speaking right now, I mean, we've got oil prices at around 140, 130, 140. So that's obviously been a nice win for you through the cycle. Maybe maybe take us through what does that journey look like in terms of, you know, the genesis of an idea, then execution into actual trades, into your portfolios. And then also at what point in time do you reassess that, take profit? How does your community digest some of that intel that is then provided within your Herenia client base? So this is a tough trade, I'm not going to lie. Um, this period sort of between October and uh, and the end of, of December, where oil pulled back from around, what, 87-ish to lows of, of all the way sort of back to 65. That was tough. I had to sit through that was was a bit scary. So there you have to kind of just believe in your in your uh, in your in your idea. Essentially, the, the the idea there was built around pending energy crisis in the northern hemisphere. So you know we were just looking at the numbers. Really, you look at uh, you know oil rigs, for example, and it just became sort of apparent that pre. COVID, there was already a situation where there was a structural shortage in oil production uh, compared to what demand was, or demand was continuing to grow, obviously. Uh, and then, you know, COVID kind of provided the perfect storm where oil demand just dropped to zero. And suddenly, you know, all the storage and, and was full and a lot of sort of oil refineries shut down. A large portion of the industry went out of business. And then you in the situation where you start thinking, well, COVID's not going to be around forever, right? So at some point, we're going to go back to traveling and back to consuming energy the way that we were. Uh, and we'll get that pre-COVID level of, of uh, energy demand, which we're not at yet, right? But if we go back to pre-COVID levels, then we're in a situation where we're, you know, once again in a shortage. But now a lot of the, the production is no longer around. So there's literally only one way for energy prices to go, which is up. So that was kind of the thesis or the, you know, the theory that we kind of stuck together and, and uh, that was the basis of that trade. And we just stuck to that, right? It, it was the cold winter in the Northern Hemisphere uh, was something we were tracking as well, weather, right? And that was really, yeah, I mean, it, it really paid off well. To be fully transparent, when oil was trading at about sort of lower 90s, I started unwinding some of that position. Some of the some of the positions that we took, we took a position in OIH, for example, which is the Vanek uh, Vectors Oil Services ETF, was one of the positions that we took. And we put that position on 2.5% of the total capital in the portfolio that had grown to just over 11% of the portfolio. So we had to start rolling back some exposure and selling off some of these things because they'd just grown to be too big a portion of the portfolio. So if you look at portfolio returns, 
you know, in the offshore portfolio, for example, in that period between sort of October and, and the beginning of December, we had underperformed the market during that time because our correlation was much higher to the oil price than it was to the S&P 500 or the, or the All Country World Index, which is what we benchmark against. In that space, you know, it's difficult to now kind of sit through your sit through this trade because, you know, the market's going up and you're going sideways and you're, you're hanging on to this, well, the market's overlooking something, right? So when that gave us the opportunity to then sort of get out uh, at OIH around sort of $240 a share, we took some of that, uh, those opportunities and we rolled back some of the positions there and just sold a lot. I mean, there was all this tension building and we didn't obviously know. If I'd known then uh, that the oil price would have done this, believe me, I would have doubled up on those positions, right? But unfortunately, that, that wasn't known at the time. But, you know, our price target was sort of 100 to $110. That seemed like a fair price for oil to really start bringing production back online because we're at a situation where production capacity isn't actually big enough to supply the market. So in order to supply the market, we have to bring new production online. And the oil price has to be quite high uh, in order to incentivize, you know, oil companies to make the, in- the investment into exploration and into, um, you know, production, new, you know, wells and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's not always an easy task to sit through your, your trade ideas, but it's one that, that worked out really well, right? During this time, we also came up with a whole uh, sort of theorem around uranium. And I think this is something that we spoke about last time as well. And now what's interesting to see is with the oil price at, what, 130 38, uh, where it spiked to on Monday. And a lot of people are going, well, very clearly, nuclear power is the future. And it's like, well, what we thought, right? So um, it's just all happening a bit faster than, than planned, thankfully. So, Pedro, with commodity prices spiking and everyone watching these parabolic charts, lines going to the top right of the page, as people say, how do you figure out whether or not to get in and try and ride that momentum You know, as a, as a trader? How do you figure out whether you should now you know, get in once it's dropped or obviously the hardest question in the world but what are some of the stuff that you look for and obviously the ukraine conflict is the catalyst here because that's caused the spike but you know a lot of those prices can just as easily come off if the conflict starts to be resolved which we obviously all hope it will be and then the other question is around you know do you buy the commodity or do you buy the company and the sort of specific risks that comes with ranging from you know labor unrest which is something we see now in south africa uh, sometimes companies hedge out the commodity price above a certain level and then you don't even realize it until you actually see announcements of margin calls and you think you bought something where the commodity price has gone mad and you own the company exposed to it, but actually you're not getting you know, the exposure you thought you did. Our preference is to sort of look for not necessarily the commodity itself, but look further down the value chain, like who's more geared to the, to, uh, the price movement. So with gold, for example, the gold miners are going to do uh, really well. Then you can do a bit of a fundamental analysis on each company to try and figure out which one do you want to buy, right? There are some filters you have to put it through. It can't be a penny stock. It can't be a pink sheet. Uh, it's got to be over a certain, um, you know, market cap, have a certain amount of liquidity. Alternatively, you know, the, the other sort of hot favorite that we do is, is ETFs, right? So our current offshore portfolio consists of, I'd say, 50-50 ETFs versus individual companies. The individual companies are you know, companies that are well-placed in their industry, but we have to individually study that company and evaluate it against its peers to find out whether it's the one that we like. So you take all that stock picking risk with that. Uh, with ETFs, it's slightly easier because you can kind of take a sectoral view. Uh, and you can say like, for example, with OIH, which is the um, Vanek uh, Oil Services ETF, you can look at the companies that make up this thing. So sure, you're not taking a, an individual, you know, bet on one company, 
uh, but you're looking at that entire sector, right? And in the U.S. particularly, there's there's tons of these things available. So you can really sort of narrow down a specific se- sector or subsector that you want to to invest in. And then even in that, there are relatively uh, a few options that you can choose from. I, I hope I've answered sort of one part of the question. The other part is, you know, well, what happens if the war ends? So this is a discussion that we've been having over the last couple of days, sort of since Friday, which is, you know, we were well positioned for this. We used some of this strength to to lighten up the load. We freed up a ton of cash offshore. So we're sitting on like 29, 30% cash or something like that. We got some gold. We got like 10% in uranium now, 15% in gold, a fair chunk in, in, in oil and energy and, and then whatever else. But the big risk for us now is, and I mean, I know this is going to sound so horrible, but the big risk is that the war ends very quickly because what, what happens in that scenario? Oil reverses, gold reverses, uh, everything sort of, uh, the positions that have been doing really well for us suddenly turn very bad. So having a higher cash component is going to definitely buffer that fall if that happens. But also we need to have a certain trigger point to say, okay, if we see this type of resolution, what do we think the impact on the market is going to be? If we see that type of – so I'll give you the different scenarios. And and I said this on TV and I retract my statement. Actually, I said I think there's a greater than 50% chance. I think there's – I, I reassess um, – I think th- I don't think it's a greater than 50% chance anymore, but I do think it is uh, maybe a greater than 30% chance, right? That uh, Putin is overthrown f- from within Russia. There's a revolution. That is a lower probability than, than you know, I would have thought it was a week ago, but uh, it still is a possibility, right? So in that scenario, what is going to be the immediate reaction of the market? Well, you can imagine S&P 500 equities are going to fly, right? Uh, the dollar will weaken drastically. Commodity prices will come down uh, drastically as well. So, uh, you know, wheat, oil, energy, it, pretty much all the commodities that have benefited from this basic materials, all that stuff will reverse very, very quickly. The other outcome is that we've got this prolonged uh, conflict that lasts six months. And in that situation, we start to see a reshaping of global supply chains, right? And we start to see, uh, you know, eventually energy prices will cool off because alternatives will be found from different countries, new pipelines will be built, new contracts will be signed. Potentially, you know, new players or, or current big players will invest in increasing production, that kind of thing. So that market then stabilizes over time, but we still see elevated commodity prices, uh, elevated risk. Uh, the other thing is, you know, the, 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 the conflict escalates into, uh, you know, a third country gets involved. Now we've got NATO involved. Now we're literally looking at world war uh, and there's the risk of a nuclear bomb. What happens if a nuclear bomb goes off? You know, what, what do we do? What's the impact of the market? So those types of different scenarios, we've got to try and figure out and say, well, in this scenario, if this happens, you know, we've got 30% cash. First thing we need to do is roll back a lot of the energy stuff, roll back a lot of the commodity stuff, and then have a plan to deploy it somewhere, right? What's... What's the recovery trade? And these are not necessarily, you know, trades that last a few days. These are going to be like, okay, what is going to be the industry or sector that's going to benefit the most from the war ending immediately? What is the sector or industry that's going to benefit the most from the war ending slowly? You know, so in different scenarios, where do you want to place? And to tell you the truth, I don't know what that answer is yet, right? So this is still something that we're talking about and we're trying to figure out, like, how do we position for the end of this thing? Because at some point it's going to end. It doesn't necessarily, I mean, I don't know when, where or how, but at some point, you know, the market kind of rebalances itself. And when that rebalancing starts to happen, uh, we need to be able to at least identify, you know, where the growth is going to come from and how we can get out of the way of the stuff that's that's going to fall backwards. 
Yeah, Petri, I want to I just jump in here and maybe in the interest of time. I mean, I like the probability-based framework in terms of your decision-making. I mean, that's really what I discuss with a lot of clients and, and people I speak to as well, is that you, you don't make a forecast. You assign probabilities. But I think the most important part is having a game plan attached to that because quite often people assign the probabilities, but they don't have a playbook attached to that that's kind of ready to go. And the way I want to go with this as well is that, you know, I saw you tweeted quite recently. It ties into maybe the last point I want to raise on this is that gold, for example, something you and I have discussed for for quite some time, both on and offline. And it's been the pain trade. You know, I know Ghost, for example, and I've also discussed this on numerous episodes of Magic Markets. It's been the pain trade for a long time. And often you see the break occurring in the price action first. So you see some of that come through in terms of technical analysis, for example, before an actual event then pushes that through. And I think gold's maybe a good example of that. It's we saw kind of gold breaking higher and then it was confirmed by geopolitical risk that comes through. My question on this is, how do you filter all of that into your decision-making process at Herenia with your clients? You know, do you lean heavily on, you've, you, we've discussed fundamental macro, we've discussed, you know, kind of all of that. Do you lean on technical analysis, for example? How do you blend the various disciplines in how you and your clients approach the markets? I think what's, What's interesting there is that some, I think we have to make a clear distinction between the funds that we manage on behalf of clients versus the, the clients that trade for themselves, right? Uh, so the self-trading clients, which are the ones that are most active within the community, obviously, you know, they have their own sort of techniques that work for them. Some people, uh, you know, really lean extremely heavily on uh, technical analysis and charting, others purely on um, sort of price action and intraday trading techniques, if you will. For the funds that we manage, it's a bit of a mix of, of both, right? So I also, I also keep an eye on uh, VIX term structure. I keep an eye, a uh, very close eye on um, sentiment, right? Goldman Sachs has a sentiment indicator that's, that's really good. These things are not necessarily, you know, trading indicators, but they're inputs. So something, I was trying to explain this to someone the other day. It's like you're consuming all this information, right? Some of it is technical charts, some of it is fundamental data, some of it is macroeconomic data. All of it has to be considered an input into an informed opinion or an informed view. So, for example, who's right and who's wrong in the Russia-Ukraine situation? Well, the Russians are saying this. You know, they're unhappy because NATO did this, broke these promises, this, this, this. And NATO is trying to do this. So I'm not trying to figure out who's right and who's wrong or pick a side. I'm trying to take in as much information as I can, discern what is accurate what is inflammatory and you don't discount anything really you just see it as like an input into like trying to form my own view let me take in the information let me think about it very critically and come to my own conclusion and once i have that conclusion bounce it off other people and see what they what they say so that is kind of a a process it's, it's hard to quantify uh in terms of you know how do we discuss this stuff with our clients we discuss it much like we're like you and I are discussing it now right we say well you know this is what I think what do you think and they'll have completely different views and completely different insights and someone might come and say well have you seen this chart well, well no I haven't that's very interesting you know and all those things then form inputs into um, into how you ultimately make your decision right and I've, I've, I've learned the hard way you can't forecast anything right you can make an assumption about what might happen in the future but you can't bank on it, right? You have to assume that at any given moment you could be wrong. So there's a good, a good saying is that um, uh, strong opinions loosely held, right? So an opinion is strong enough for you to take action on. But if you get evidence that, uh, you know, of new information or, or evidence that your, your decision that you made might be the wrong one, then you change your opinion, 
right? So there's nothing wrong with being wrong. This is the thing that, that people don't get, is that being wrong is like 90% of this game. You're wrong all the time. And you just got to make sure that when you are wrong, you don't stay wrong. Yeah, that's that's really cool insight, Pietri. I like that. Strong opinions loosely held. I think we're going to have to stop it there in the interest of time. But thank you. As always, we've learned a ton from you. And uh, we'll be doing this once a month. And, you know, our listeners should go and check out Herenia. We will uh, obviously include the links, you know, within the podcast and around, you know, wherever you found this podcast, you'll also find the link. Go check it out. Really cool trading community. If you're keen to take your trading and invest into the next level, Pietri and his team are ready to welcome you. So, Pietri, thank you so much. And we will do this again with you next month. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Have Have a great evening. Remember to visit thefinanceghost.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.